Poet. I'm your host, Tom Kearns, and welcome to this episode of the Anglo-Saxon England podcast. Episode 56, The End of the Woofingers. The rule of the Woofingers dynasty in East Anglia came to an end in 749. This family had been at the core of East Anglian politics since before the beginning of the kingdom's recorded history, going all the way back to the legendary Woofer. Certainly, the end of their control of East Anglia came as a shock, as these kinds of things always do. Despite this, though, the end of the Woofingers' monopoly on power was not characterised by disruption or upheaval. Instead, the final two kings of the Woofingers' line, Ealdwulf and Alfwald, presided over an extended period of relative stability and prosperity in the kingdom, a fact marked by both kings' reigns lasting for multiple decades. Besides this, copious archaeological evidence has been unearthed, which demonstrates that during their time at the head of the East Anglian Kingdom, the realm experienced marked economic growth through the expansion of international trade and the use of coinage. Let's begin this survey of the last two Woofingers with Eildwulf. The most immediately impressive thing about his reign is its sheer length. Spanning 49 years from 664 to 713, it alone is reflective of the king's great success, since, as we have seen, he must have been able to both defend the kingdom and maintain internal peace to stay on the throne for that long. Eildwulf's background is murky. Bede tells us that his mother was one Heraswitha, a relative of Edwin of Northumbria, but his father's name is only found in genealogical lists in later chronicles. There the name is given as Athilrich, son of Eni. No one with that name is attested anywhere else in the record, and there is some speculation that this Athelrich is in fact actually a mistaken rendering of Edgerich, the man who ruled East Anglia for about six years, immediately prior to the reign of Anna. That Eildwulf came from a fairly noble family, and that he grew up in proximity to royalty, is confirmed by Bede's telling us that it was Eildwulf who spent time at the court of King Radwald when he was a boy, and that it is from Eildwulf's reminiscences that we get the story of Radwald's dual pagan Christian temple. How exactly Eildwulf became king of East Anglia is not clear, but probably it was because neither Athelhera nor Athelwald produced any heirs. That he was a successful king is certainly undeniable, though. At the heart of Eildwulf's achievements was the thriving commercial centre of Yipeswich, modern-day Ipswich. Prior to Eildwulf's reign, the settlement had consisted mostly of a quay from which trading would occur, usually with continental Frisian or Frankish traders. But during Eildwulf's long reign, the wick expanded to the north, and in this new annex, craftspeople began producing what, since the 1950s, has been called Ipswich ware pottery, a type of ceramic modelled on imports brought from Frisia. This expansion of Ipswich also shows clear signs of central planning. Its streets were set out in a rectangular grid, and on the whole, its development closely resembles that of Dorstad, one of its principal trading partners on the continent, suggesting the very close links that existed between the two communities. It was also during the rule of Eildwulf that East Anglia saw the introduction of its first coinage. 
This coinage generally follows the examples of that used in Kent at this same time, beginning with Frankish-inspired gold thrimsas, which after the 670s became increasingly debased and were eventually replaced with the silver sheatas. The distribution of coin finds in East Anglia reveals various centres of importance in the kingdom. We can tell from this that the area around Thetford was a centre of economic activity, as well as locations on the edge of the Fens, such as Illsworth and Exning. In addition to this, other areas that have produced a large number of coins include Burcastle, which is probably the site of the Irish monastery of Knobherresburg, the Royalville at Rendlesham, and of course, Ipswich. There aren't many definitely datable events surviving from Eodwulf's reign. The closest we have is that a plague swept England in the 660s, which resulted in a large-scale depopulation of much of the country and general understaffing of the church. As a result of this plague, Eildwulf was forced to accept a plan proposed by Theodore, the Archbishop of Canterbury, to divide the single East Anglian bishopric of Domok into two, with Domok surviving in the south and a new bishop of Elmham, whose post would eventually evolve into the Bishop of Norwich in the north. Besides this one event and the general appearance of prosperity, not much else is really known about Aelwulf's long reign. We know that he must have married at some point, although we don't know the name of his wife, and it seems that he produced at least two children, only one of whom's name has survived. This one recorded child was Aelwulf's son Alfwald, but we know little else about any of his family. We don't even know what caused Eodwulf's death in 713, only that he was succeeded by Alfwald, the man who, as it turns out, would be the last Wuffingers king of East Anglia. Coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis. You might think it's partisan because maybe it's critical of one side or the other, but it's not, it's just the truth. And I think that's also something that's kind of unusual for Americans listening to the radio or to podcasts because the news landscape in the States has been so partisan for so many decades. So 5-Minute News is verified, truthful, independent, unbiased and essential world news daily. History is the greatest adventure story. But does it ever leave you wondering what the women were doing all that time? This is Lori from the Her Half of History podcast, and the answer is that some women were seizing power, or escaping slavery, or spying for their country, or creating artistic masterpieces, while countless others were doing the laundry, getting married, and wondering why their clothes don't have more pockets. If you would like to hear the stories of women doing all of those things, check out Her Half of History at herhalfofhistory.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Ken Harbaugh, host of Warriors in Their Own Words, a podcast that presents the unvarnished, unsanitized truth of what we have asked of those who defend this nation. As a country, we need these stories more than ever. Stories from Americans who have borne the battle, including 30-year-old remastered interviews with veterans from World War I recounting their time in the trenches of Europe. 
and with veterans from World War II, Korea, Vietnam, and from our most recent conflicts in Iraq, Afghanistan, and other battlefields Americans may never have heard of. Hear their stories by listening to Warriors in Their Own Words wherever you find podcasts. Hello, listeners. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. I just wanted to let you know that if you enjoy what I'm doing here, then it really helps me when you leave a review or a rating on the podcast provider you're using to listen to this, when you subscribe to the show's YouTube channel, and when you become a patron over on Patreon, where you can get access to bonus episodes, ad-free episodes, and transcripts by pledging to one of the show's patron tiers. And speaking of patrons, I want to give a shout-out to Paula Tigerman, Emed Lloyd, and Rachel Jordan, who all recently became patrons. Thank you so much for your support, and I hope that you're enjoying the extra material you now have access to. Anyway, back to the show. Like his father, Alfwald's reign is remarkable for its length. Although not as long as Eildwolf's 49 years, Alfwald still managed to rack up an impressive 39 years, reigning from 713 to 749. What sets Alfwald's rule apart is the profound tranquility that characterised East Anglia during his time. In an age marred by conflicts and power struggles, Alfwald's kingdom remained remarkably untouched by external military threats or internal disputes. This period of serenity can be attributed to various factors, including the well-established ecclesiastical order in East Anglia and the flourishing trade relations facilitated by the bustling port of Ipswich. It is apparent that Alfwald was a patron of scholars and monks, because it is to him that Felix's Life of St. Guthlac, the record of a charismatic hermit who lived in the Fens, was dedicated. Similarly, Alfwald also composed a letter to the English missionary Boniface, in which the king demonstrated his knowledge of Latin and his keen interest in Anglo-Saxon missions abroad. In the letter, he reassures Boniface of the East Anglians' support for his mission, and even offers to exchange mortuary lists with the monk, so that prayers may be said for the dead in both the Frisian and East Anglian monasteries. One of Alfwald's key achievements was his harmonious relationship with Athelbald of Mercia, a peace fostered by Athelbald's period of exile in the Fens, at which time Alfwald, may well have provided support to the struggling warrior. The two men also shared a common respect for the cult of St. Guthlac. Athelbald patronised the monastery at Crowland, while Alfwald personally requested the composition of Guthlac's life. Alfwald's amicable stance towards Athelbald fostered a climate of cooperation and understanding between the two realms, ensuring the maintenance of peace in the region, and allowing both Mercia and East Anglia to prosper due to both kings' interest in trade. The economic boom that was begun under Eildwulf continued under Alfwald's rule. Ipswich continued its development, and East Anglian coinage also continued to evolve. The silver sheaters expanded during his time, and several different types began to be produced in East Anglia. Most of them fall into two main groups, known by numismatists as the Q-series and the R-series. Neither group bears a royal name or title, and the authority by which they were issued is not certainly established. 
the Q series, which has some Northumbrian affinities, is most closely distributed in western East Anglia, along the edge of the Fen, between the Wash and Cambridge, while the R series, with Bust and Standard, derived from an earlier Kentish type, and is more commonly distributed in central and eastern East Anglia, including in Ipswich. This all indicates not just a boom in East Anglia's economy, but also a diversification in it, as clearly there was a plethora of people minting money at this time, which indicates a large demand for money across the kingdom. Despite the peace that typifies his reign, Alfwald's death in 749 marked a turning point for East Anglia. Alfwald left no heir, and we do not even know if he was married. Given his skill with Latin and his clear interest in monasticism, it is quite possible that Alfwald was celibate, thus he wouldn't have produced any children. Following his death, the kingdom was subsequently divided among three rulers, none of whom seemed to have been Wolfingas, since the stock of Wolfingas seemed to have completely dried up at this point. Why this occurred, we will unpack in the next episode. For right now, we can say that the end of the Wolfingas dynasty in 749 marked a significant transition, yet it was not a finale marred by disruption and upheaval. Instead, the legacy of the Wolfingas, epitomised by the last two kings, Ealdwulf and Elfwald, was one of enduring stability and prosperity. The subsequent history of East Anglia would prove more challenging, ultimately culminating in the destruction of the kingdom itself. The Wolfingas, though, went out on a high note, something that cannot be said of most of the other dynasties in this period, and their legacy fundamentally shaped the formation of Eastern England up to the modern day. Thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Anglo-Saxon England podcast. Once again, I've been your host, Tom Kearns, and I hope you'll join me again next time. Hello, my name is Peter Zablocki, and I'm a historian, author, and college professor. I'm thrilled to invite you to check out Evergreen Network's History Shorts podcast. Every Tuesday and Thursday, join me on a journey through time, exploring the little-known and hidden gems of history. In each bite-sized episode, I'll dive into my original research to bring you intriguing historical curiosities you've probably never heard of, uncovering the fascinating stories that have shaped our world from forgotten figures to overlooked events. And the best part? I've condensed all this historical goodness into manageable chunks, perfect for your on-the-go lifestyle. Whether you're commuting to work or squeezing in a quick break, History Shorts fits into the little time you probably think you don't have. Subscribe now and never miss an episode of the History Shorts podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts.